910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth, with hosts Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. At Proverbs 910 Ministries, we are dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with biblical truth. Welcome back, Rose. This is our 100th episode. Did you ever think in October of 2019 that we'd get here? I didn't. And matter of fact, I admit, I didn't think we'd get off the first episode. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't either. There was definitely a learning curve in all of this, but God is good. He is. He is. And through his grace, we have seemed to learn what we needed to learn. And we've seemed to have what we needed to have, not necessarily until the last minute sometimes, but (laughs) we're on the edge of our seat once in a while, but it's all working so far. That's for sure. There have been times where we're three, four weeks ahead, and there's times when Sunday night we're uploading Monday morning's episode. Not too often. Not too often, but once in a while. Sometimes. Yeah. And of course, we thank and we give all glory to God for this podcast, for success, for everything that we do, and for being able to do what we love more than anything else, which is learning and studying and teaching God's Word. But we also want to thank all of you who faithfully listen. Your support and your encouragement means more than you can even ever imagine. And it it is really what gets us through sometimes those difficult times when we're struggling because of internet or whatever our issue might be. And we appreciate it. We appreciate all the listens and the watches and the comments and the questions. Absolutely. And along that vein, we wanted to do something special for our 100th episode. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do an episode answering some of the questions many of you have. And if you remember, we promised a giveaway, which we're going to do at the end of the episode. So hang in there. But let's get started with some of the questions. Chris, why don't you start? Okay. I'm going to start with something. This is the most asked question that we get. Definitely. What is Reformed theology? Well, Reformed theology is what the Reformer Fathers fought for. It's actually biblical Christianity. It's comprised of the five solas from the Reformation. The first four are sola fide, faith alone, sola Christus, in Christ alone, sola gratia, through grace alone, and sola dea gloria, to the glory of God alone. These first four solas are summed up by Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. This is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The fifth sola is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. And we say it all the time. We do. The Bible (laughs) is the only authority that we're to use for the things of God. We aren't to use our experiences, our emotions, or tradition. All those things may have a place in our sanctification, but they're never to be used as, used as or viewed equal to or above scripture. Nothing is. Some verses that reinforce that, and we're not going to read all these. I'm just going to give them to you. Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, Matthew 4, 4, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, Mark 7, 5 through 9, and Proverbs 28, 26 are a few of them. So a lot of people just call Reformed theology Calvinism, but there is a difference between Calvinism and Reformed theology. Reformed theology has three C's is kind of what we say. They're Calvinist. They're also covenantal, which means there's an emphasis on the covenant God made with the first Adam and our second Adam, who is Jesus um, and and the new covenant. 
and their confessional, meaning they adhere to the basic creeds like the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession, 1689 London Baptist Confession, something like that. Right. Good answer. We've answered it enough. Yep. (laughs) So here's the next question. What's the difference between false teaching and bad theology? Good question. It is a good question. And the simple answer is nothing. Wrong teaching is wrong teaching. However, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that there is a difference in the heart issue. Mm. I would use the title false teacher for anyone who hasn't bothered to read and study scripture and are just giving their own opinions with no scripture backup sometimes, or maybe one verse pulled out of context and meaning something it was never meant to mean. False teachers definitely have an agenda and the agenda is not to teach the word of God and it's not to glorify God. On the other side, someone with bad theology, I would say is someone who does sincerely want to teach and know God's truth, but either has been mistaught or they themselves have misinterpreted scripture. I think people with bad theology, I would tend to put them in the category of actually being Christian. False teachers, I do not think are Christian. I do think people with bad theology are. And that's my opinion. That's not scripture, but that's what I've seen. I think you hit the nail on the head when you first said said it at the beginning, heart issue. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your motivation? Where's your heart? And, and false teachers, right. they're in the churches trying to do what they're doing. Right. They're not glorifying yeah. God. And sometimes you you learn something and you realize that you might have taught it wrong, but you really had a heart to teach right. when you were That's you right. know, first started Absolutely. or whatever. So Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. I, I think people who have bad theology will usually have a couple of verses of scripture. They're just not necessarily in context. And maybe they're using them to mean something they right. weren't originally meant to mean. You know, I would add that false teachers show no fruit of being a Christian. Mm-hmm. Usually false teachers are out to glorify themselves, not God, like we said. While people with bad theology, this is why I think they're probably Christians. You do see fruit. You see a sincere heart and you yeah. see other fruit. You know, you see that they want to serve mm-hmm. people, that they do love God. Right. And finally, I wouldn't hesitate to call out false teachers by name. And we do. And Paul did. And Paul did, as he says mm-hmm. in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, which say, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. So that's the end of the scripture. And that's the definition of a false teacher and those who are following. But I think when we're dealing with people who have bad theology, we need to be very gentle with and Correct in truth and love, sure. as is said over and over in scripture. Absolutely. Okay, next question. I'm anxious that I may not be saved or I may lose my salvation. Okay, well, it's kind of a two-part question. So we'll start with the answer to the first part of that by explaining the gospel message. To explain the gospel message and to really get it right, you have to go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve were the parents of all humanity. We see that in Genesis 3.20, and it tells us again in Acts 17.26. Because Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, every human being is born with an inherited sin nature, and they're hostile to God and actually enemies of God. I'm going to give you a list of scriptures here because a lot of people really go, what? Enemies of God? Romans 1.18-22, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.10, and Romans 8. 
verses 5 through 21, and Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 are some places to go for this. Because of this original sin that we all have, there is no one that's righteous. We see that in Romans 3, 10 through 12, Psalm 14, 1 through 3, Psalm 53, 1 through 3, to give you a few scriptures there. Because we're sinners by nature, we have no desire to seek God or to please God. We're dead in our sinful nature. We can't ever be good enough to save ourselves. The only way we can be saved is to be made alive, also known as born again. And for this to happen, God must regenerate our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, turning our hearts from stone to flesh, so that when we hear the gospel message, we respond in faith, according to Titus 3.5 and Ephesians 2.9. The good news is that God gave us a way to salvation. Jesus willingly came to earth as a baby, lived a perfectly holy life, and died as a sacrifice in our place, taking the punishment on himself that we deserve. We call that substitutional atonement. It's by believing and trusting that he did that to pay for our sin and repenting of our sin and asking God for forgiveness of it, that we are saved. That's how you're saved. So that answers the first part of the question. As for the part about losing your salvation, since salvation is a work of God and because he has chosen the elect, the ones he's going to save from before the foundation of the world, you can go to Ephesians 1 and read through that uh, to back that up. We won't lose our salvation. We can't. It's right. impossible. Right. And that also is backed up by the Bible speaking of the fact that the Holy Spirit seals us for all eternity in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And also that God, the Father and Jesus never let anyone snatch us away from them is found in the book of John. And there are lots of other scriptures that back that all up. Yeah, that's a good answer. Good answer. It's a long but. Well, it's important stuff. It's mm -hmm. important. It is. Assurance most... of salvation is important. It's absolutely. Okay. Next question. What if a woman truly feels called to be a pastor? How can you say it's unbiblical? Well, I'm not going to lie. There was a time when I struggled with this oh, for yeah. this very same reason. Mm -hmm. But let me say that we're not the ones saying it's unbiblical. The Bible does. That's right. And there's a lot of different views about what scripture says about the circumstances and to whom women can teach. But it is crystal clear that women are not to be ordained pastors or elders. And we don't have time to go deeply into this, although sometime we should do an episode mm -hmm. on it. First Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. When you put this verse into proper context, Paul's talking about the worship service, leading the worship service. Women are not to teach or exercise authority in the worship service. It's not that they have to be quiet all the time. No. And it's not that they can't teach or even teach men. This is the worship service. And the answer to the question, it's very possible if you're a woman that God is calling you to teach his word. Chris, mm -hmm. you and I certainly feel that calling. Mm -hmm. But God's not going to call you to something that goes against scripture. And if you feel like you're being called to anything that goes against scripture, whether it's a job, relationship, whatever, it's not from not God. Happen. It's not from God. Good point. So if you're feeling like you're called to be an ordained pastor, it's not from God. Very good point. Okay, next question. I would like a better understanding of how we will one day be resurrected. I'd like this truth to be broken down in your easy to under understand way. Thanks. Oh, well. 
That's Who knew? We're easy to understand. Sometimes I think I'm a bumbling fool. <laughs> I don't know about being easy to understand, but anyway, we'll try. The problem is we don't, we're not told a lot about this in scripture, but we'll tell you some things that we do know. At death, our souls are separated from our bodies. The soul of the righteous, those who are saved, are immediately in heaven with God. The souls of the wicked upon death are immediately in hell. But there's a future resurrection of the body to be reunited with the soul for eternity, for both the righteous and the wicked, as seen in Acts 24, 14, and 15, and other verses. That will happen at a precise moment in history, on the last day when Jesus returns. Everyone is raised at the same time. Jesus said it in John 5, 28 and 29, where he said, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So that's the end of the scripture. Those who are alive when Jesus returns to earth on that day, and it is a day, will be changed and they'll have eternal bodies also. Paul talks about resurrected bodies in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 to 57. He has a, it's, it's a pretty long passage, we're not going to read it, where he, he tells us in there that it's going to be a spiritual body. That doesn't mean it's not physical in nature, it means it's immortal, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 53. Christ's resurrected body still had the scars. He ate, he talked, he walked, and his body also had some supernatural qualities like walking through walls. We don't know what uh, things of those ours are going to have. We're not told that. That'd be cool. But it would be cool. <laughs> it'd be cool. How does it happen? How does the resurrection happen? Well, we know that it's quick in the twinkling of an eye, according to First uh, Corinthians 15, 52. And we do know that there's continuity between our physical body now so we'll be discernible mm -hmm. from others like we are now, but our bodies will be different. Like Paul describes a seed planted that turns into something different than the original seed. Plant a seed of corn, it turns into a corn stalk. So we don't know what that's, that exactly means for our bodies, but our bodies will be suitable for eternal existence, eternal existence. And um, exactly what that'll be like and the mechanics of how it's going to happen, we're not told. There's an article from... Herman Bavnik on monergism, monergism.com backslash resurrection dash body. Okay, next question. I know I'm forgiven, but does God still get mad at me? You know, I think this is something a lot of people probably wonder mm -hmm, about. I think so. And before I answer, I need to clarify that we're talking to believers mm -hmm. with this answer because the answer to this question is very different if you're a believer <laughs> totally or different. an unbeliever. It's very different. So this is for believers. This is the answer. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows us better than God. He knows the deepest, darkest parts of us and of our hearts, knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. Once we're saved, like you went through, the Holy Spirit seals us, sanctifies us to become more and more like Jesus. And I say that to show that God definitely wants us to grow. He wants us to trust him more, obey him more, get to know him more. So when we repent of a sin like lying, God wants us to truly repent, meaning that we turn away from the sin and turn towards him. As Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So when we're saved, we're not enslaved to sin anymore. That means we can resist it. We're not going to get it perfect on this side of heaven, but we can resist it. And God certainly wants us to resist it. Yep. However, 
And this is a big however. Once we're saved, we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. That means when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus's perfect record. It's not that he doesn't know the truth about us. Of course he does. And he knows exactly who we are. But Jesus has paid our debt to God for all of our sin. That means sins we've already committed, are committing now and haven't yet committed. So that being the case, God doesn't get mad at us. But don't confuse the fact that he doesn't get mad at us with that he actually disciplines us because he's disciplining us to refine us. And sometimes discipline can look like he's angry at us, but it's actually an extremely loving thing he does because he loves us and he wants to refine us to be more like Jesus. He disciplines us, but don't ever confuse that with his being angry at us. No, even when it's hard, because it is hard it to is be very disciplined. Hard. Yeah, and it's painful sometimes, but okay, here's another one. When do you know if you are over-dependent on someone? Uh, yeah, well, my first question to you, if you said that to me, are you depending on this person more than you're depending on God? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. I'm not 100% sure what direction this question was coming from. But for instance, if a husband or a wife has a hard time functioning or getting through the day without the other one or without hearing from the other one constantly or often, you might be dependent on that person. And that can be a huge weight on the person you're dependent mm -hmm. on. It just can weigh them down. It just can be, you know, bog them down if they feel that. And if something like that's happening, you're not putting God first. Anyone can be taken from us at any time and in lots of different ways. People can be taken from us. They can walk away from us. You know, we just don't know. But anything we think we can't live without is an idol. So we were created for companionship and for mutual help, but not, you know, over dependency. The Psalms talk about depending on God for our food and our wisdom and our shelter and many other things, including our salvation. If God isn't who we're ultimately placing our trust in and our dependence on, then we need to pray and ask him to help us get to that point. Amen to that. Okay, next question. What is the unforgivable sin? Hmm. And some of you may have heard this before. This question is referring to a verse found in Matthew 12, 31 to 32, where Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So the unforgivable sin has been talked about a lot, and it's generally been known to blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So what's that mean? Well, first, we need to put this verse and the one in Mark, which mirrors it, into context. Jesus is not talking to his disciples or other believers in this passage. He's talking to the Pharisees where he says this. I mean, he's, he's telling them this, not believers. It wasn't that the Pharisees were ignorant to the truth. Jesus was right in front of them teaching, yet they willfully rejected it. So in a nutshell, the unforgivable sin is unbelief, not having Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As one commentator put it, and I think this is a good take on it, blasphemy against the Spirit evidently is not just a one-time offense. Rather, it's an ongoing attitude of rebellion a stubborn way of life that continually resists, rejects, and insults the Holy Spirit. So if you're a genuine believer, you can't be guilty of the unforgivable sin because any sin you commit is forgivable because basically it's unbelief. And Jesus talks about attributing things that are from the Holy Spirit 
to Satan. And we can't, we don't have time to go into that, but basically it's the same thing. It's that's what he was telling the Pharisees because that's what they were doing. Yeah. Right. They were not believing in Jesus. They were calling him Beelzebub. They were calling him <laughs> yeah. Satan. Yep. So he was telling them, you're what's from God, you're saying is from Satan. So it's basically unbelief. Mm-hmm. Okay, good answer. All right, next question. I'm depressed. I pray and still everything in my life goes wrong. How can I get out of my funk and get my life on the right track? This is a hard question and it requires a hard answer. First of all, for anyone who's suffering from any kind of depression, I'm very sorry because it is not a good place to be in. But you know, you're in good company. There have been some great minds Mm -hmm. that have been subject to depression. John Calvin talked about a lot how he was prone to melancholy and he would get in these melancholy moods. And we know everybody's personality is different. Not everybody's bubbly and vivacious. And even people who are at times, they still have times where they're not. Right. And, you know, and maybe being someone who's more prone to melancholy is just how you're wired. But that's a separate issue than the other part of the question. So, you know, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm certainly not a psychiatrist. So I'm not going to say whether you're medically depressed, clinically depressed, or, but it is good to find out. But the other part of the question we can't answer. First of all, you know, it said everything's gone wrong in my life. Sometimes we need to look at what wrong is because what may be wrong to us may not be wrong. It might be something God's using to refine us and to grow us. And it may not feel really good, but discipline doesn't always feel good. Growing doesn't always feel good. That's why they're called growing pains. And second, even if something catastrophic happens to us, and you know, most of us have been there, we have to remember that that's what we're promised. We're not promised any different. Jesus tells us plainly, in John 16, 33, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Doesn't get much clearer than that. Right. And this was and is the case for many of us. Now, granted, it's unevenly dispersed. And I'm not going to say I know the mind of God of why that is. But before becoming a believer, Paul was wealthy. He was well-connected, respected, lots of friends. And after Jesus got a hold of him, he was beaten, arrested, imprisoned, mocked, hated, stoned, shipwrecked and ultimately beheaded. So I think the key to not falling into a funk over your circumstances is found in the second part of that John verse. The first part was in this world, you'll have tribulation, but then it says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And that's obviously Jesus talking. So regardless of your circumstances, if you're a believer, nothing, absolutely nothing can hurt you spiritually. That's exactly why, even after all Paul went through, he could still write in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10, Chris, some of our favorite verses, Mm -hmm. but we have this treasure, and that means the gospel message, in jars of clay, which is our fragile bodies, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Yeah. And that's a a great scripture to remind yourself of because life is hard. Life is very hard. Life is very hard. And and, just because bad things are happening doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It, it may, but it doesn't necessarily, and it's hard. So it's right. relying on God for that strength to get through those days. Strength for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Next question. 
Do we need to stay faithful to God for him to work in our lives? And then there's a second question here. Does he leave us if we backslide? All right. So if we're saved, God never leaves us. Uh, we talked about that in the, one of the questions that we've already answered. He never leaves us. He's holding us in his hand. Nothing can snatch us out of it. But Christians do sin. They still sin. Even after long periods of time of being a Christian, they can sin. But the Holy Spirit works in the lives of a believer to make them more and more like Jesus as they go through life. So there should be evidence of fruit of you becoming more and more like our Savior. But a Christian can backslide and fall into a big time, you know, sin or a great deal of sin. But eventually a Christian will return, will turn from that and repent. And 1 John 3, 6 is a good warning. And it says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So that's the end of the scripture. If we find ourselves mired in sin and we have no desire to stop sinning and we know we're not going to, you know, we we're saying, well, I know I'm not going to, I know I'm not supposed to, but I know, and we keep sinning and keep doing that with no intention of stopping. We need to examine ourselves to see if we really are in the faith. What about a person that denies Christ? The Bible tells us, you know, a person that denies Christ and walks away from the faith totally and never, never turns back was never truly saved to begin with. It doesn't mean that they backslid and they lost their faith. It means that they never were really saved. And we get that from 1 John 2, 19, which says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going out so that none of them belong to us. Right. Okay, next question. How honest is too honest when it comes to telling your kids things? Well, there's no concrete scripture on this and there's differing opinions. Dr. Vody Bauckham, for example, believes that you should hold nothing back when teaching your children from the Bible. It was during a sermon you said this and he was talking about people who don't want to deal with sexual sins with their kids because they think it's inappropriate. But he says everything in scripture is appropriate to teach your children. Now, I completely agree with the spirit of what he's saying. However, I admit, I would refrain from some of the more graphic wording in scripture to children under 10 anyway. However, having said that, I completely disagree with the sanitized Bible stories <laughs> that often get taught to our kids in Sunday school. Big chunks are left out because they paint a darker picture than is deemed appropriate for kids. But I think kids can handle more than we think they can. For example, usually when Daniel's taught in a kid's Sunday school, the story ends with Daniel walking out of the lion's den. And they leave out the part that King Darius throws Daniel's accusers and his families in the lion's den where they're immediately torn to shreds. Now, that's not trying to be morbid. That's what scripture says. And I think it's important because if you leave chunks of scripture out, you're misteaching what mm -hmm. you're trying to get. You're misteaching the theology. You're misteaching the doctrine. You're misteaching the point of the story. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 8 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Take to heart these words that I give you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home or away, when you lie down and get up. The Israelites were to teach God's truth in its entirety, not sanitize it. And we should do the same. That's how we raise biblically grounded and biblically faithful children. Right. They have to learn to deal with the hard passages and they have to grasp these 
truths about God that are truth. Right. You know, that there is judgment for the wicked. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not all puppies and kittens and, and <laughs> sunniness. And if they grow up thinking that in their younger years, they won't understand when they're taught right. harder stuff. So, yep. All right. Good question and good answer. All right. Next question. Does the Bible say if you're devoted to God, he will save your children? Oh, this is a tough one. This is really tough to hear. But the answer to that question is no, there is no guarantee of that. When Peter addressed the crowd at Pentecost, which is where this often comes from, he commanded them to repent. And the scripture says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, Acts 2.39. Now, Peter does not say some of your children. He simply says, and your children. God's promise is the guarantee of salvation. And so salvation is promised to believers and their children. However, the promise is limited by the last part of the expression. It says, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that refers to God's effectual call of his elect. The gospel call goes out to all, but it's not effectual for all. Salvation, like we talked about earlier in this episode, is of the Lord. God is the one who saves sinners. Salvation is not by our works. It's not by our children's works. It's never. Not by genetics. (laughs) Yeah, it's not by genetics. It's never by works. So it's a tough answer to hear, but the answer is no. However. However. Children of believers have a huge advantage. They do. They're covenantal children. Mm -hmm. So that means they're being taught by believing parents, Mm -hmm. hopefully taught the Bible. Mm -hmm. They're being grounded in scripture. They're being taught at church. They're being fed at church. They're being prayed for. They have lots of advantages that other outsiders don't. I always think of the Israelites. They lived under the covenant. They were not all going to be saved. They were lived under God's covenant of chosen people, and they had lots of blessings. I mean, when Absolutely. God protected them, he protected everybody, not just parts of them. And right. it's kind of the same. So if the question was, are there blessings for believers' children? The answer yes. is absolutely yes. Yeah. All right. To our next question. Are tattoos prohibited in the Bible? Mm. Well, if I was young, I would be getting a tattoo. <laughs> I think I would. Yeah. Anyway, Leviticus 19.28, this is where this this question always comes from, says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So the reason for the prohibition in the Old Testament is most likely that it was a pagan practice uh, connected with idolatry and superstition. Today, that is not the case. Uh, Many people get tattoos for many, many, many reasons, not not all of which are bad. Mm -mm. So what can we say about tattoos? Well, my first thought is to know, this is a no-brainer, know what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, don't go get some tattoo design because it looks cool or because your favorite rock star has that one or anything like that without knowing what the symbol or the design you're getting is standing for because it very well could be pagan or whatever. So know what you're getting. Here's some things to, to ask. Will your tattoo aid or detract from sharing the gospel? Um, my son, Zach, has the five solas on his arm. And, you know, I'm sure that he gets a lot of talk about it because not a lot of people know what it is when they see mm-hmm. it. And so it can aid in him sharing the gospel. Here's some other questions. What's your motivation for getting it? Is it to fit in and be cool? Then the motivation might be an issue for you, not the tattoo. 
most important is we have to remember that we're to adorn our inner self more than our outer selves. And that's all I really have. Those are some thoughts to keep in mind. So what tattoo would you have gotten? I probably would have gotten the five solas. <laughs> you have mommy and me. No, mommy no, no. And me Zach and I would not because I would have gotten it first. Zach is 30. I don't think he wants. Yeah, no, no, no. No, I, that's what I'm, that's not, not why I'm getting one now, but if I was younger, I would have been, it would have been before he would have had his. So he'd had to think of something else, but. <laughs> okay. Next question. What do I do if I'm in a Bible study and the leader teacher says something that's against scripture? How do I handle it? Well, I can tell you, Chris and I had both been in this situation before and not even together. We were in separate Bible studies more than once. And I think the best approach is to come back with actual truth, being as gentle as you can. But I can tell you from experience, be prepared that it could get heated. So you got to be ready. For example, let's say the teacher says, we must be careful we don't lose our salvation. Well, you respond with something like, hey, let me quote Ephesians 1.13, which says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's the end of the scripture. So then I would say, look, here's what scripture says. So this clearly says we don't have to be afraid. We're not going to lose our salvation because once God saves us, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. We can't possibly lose it. We don't have to be afraid. What the point of this is, is you're exposing the lie to all those listening in a gentle way yeah. without giving your opinion, but giving scriptural proof. And Chris, I've said this to you before, but nothing makes me crazier than to hear false teaching and see people frantically writing it down. <laughs> I want to rip the pages out of their notebook. But that's not gentle. And I haven't done that. I've never done that. I, I haven't and I don't done want to that either. But I haven't always been gentle. And I do regret, regret it when I haven't yeah. been later. But Yeah, because not being gentle is just going to put people on the defensive. And remember, you're calling out the teacher. And so as gentle as you can be, that's tough for the teacher to deal with. It is hard. Yeah. But the more gentle you are, and when you use scripture, it's a little bit easier to take. The same with us. You ever hear anything that sounds a little funky that we say? You know, you got scripture, call us out on it. Mm -hmm. But it is important to do, especially if it's something essential. Mm -hmm. You know, now if it's something that the teacher says, I think women need to wear head coverings all the time. I don't know that I'd call that out in class because, you know, there's, there's back and forth on that. We don't agree with it, but. I probably would make a comment, but not a definitive, like, oh, you're wrong. Right. You know. Right. But it's important for the teacher and everyone listening to hear truth, especially mm -hmm. if it's something essential. Just remember, do it in love mm -hmm. because this is probably not a false teacher if they're teaching a Bible study. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. More than likely, it's someone with maybe bad theology. So don't start with I think or I believe. I would always start with either the verse quotation mm -hmm. or, you know, scripture says. Right. No, and they're ripping papers. No, no ripping people's notebook pages. All right. Here's the next one. You often talk about your, meaning we, um, somebody's asking us, you often talk about your go-to guys. How do you know if a commentator or theologian is credible? Okay. That's a good question. Very good question. So the answer is something we say all the time. Know your Bible or know the Bible. We should, we could... KTB, <laughs> know the Bible. Here's an idea. 
though. Um, if, if you don't know your Bible yet and you want to look up some commentary about it because you're studying it, and if you're looking online, put in your question and then type the word reformed after the question. And that will at least get you headed in a decent direction. You know, maybe something we should consider putting on our yeah. website, some good go-to people and commentaries, links and whatever. Maybe we'll do books or whatever too. We have to think about that a little bit. But yeah, let's give a couple here. One of our favorites is Ligonier Ministries, yes. L-I-G. O-N-I-E-R. O-N-I-E-R, yeah. I'm trying to do that in it's my It's actually head. named after a town near Pittsburgh. Yeah, Ligonier is one. And Monergism uh, is another if you want to go there. And I use, a lot of times I use Bible Hub. Mm-hmm. I used to use Blue Letter Bible, but I use Bible Hub a lot. And I like Gill and Barnes on there. Calvin. Calvin. Henry Spurgeon. Um, yeah. Luther. Right. And those guys, you know, they're long dead. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. But they did not go off the rails theologically and they're dead. So that's not exactly Exactly. And I think Blue Letter Bible has John MacArthur on now. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. There's some ideas. Ligonier is more of a modern one. Mm-hmm. And it's a bunch of guys, but I've never seen anything on there that's not scriptural. No, so, me so. either. I haven't. So, okay. Last question. How do your husbands feel about your ministry, your teaching, doing a podcast and writing books? Well, our husbands are incredibly supportive of our ministry, podcast, teaching books, everything. And maybe some of you don't know this, but this is pretty much a full-time job. I mean, we spend 30 to 40 hours a week on researching, studying, writing, podcasting, editing, posting, and everything else that goes with it, Mm -hmm. answering comments, things like that. So it's it's a full-time job and they are incredibly supportive of the fact that we do it. And I think they're very proud of us. I think so. Yeah, they seem to be. They seem to be. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've kicked them out of the room (laughs) because we're podcasting and it needs to be quiet. We don't kick them out. They voluntarily leave. Yeah, Um, they do. They do. They, you know, they know we need time to record and they're very gracious about giving us some quiet. If John has to come upstairs when we're recording, he sneaks up the stairs very, very quietly (laughs) But otherwise, he stays downstairs, closes the door so the TV's not heard. And yeah, yeah. And they do. They both encourage us and they're wonderful. They put up with a lot. Yeah, they do. Uh, Yeah, we've been very blessed with the husbands we've been given. Yep, we have. Well, that does it for the questions, at least for this time. Maybe we'll do this episode again sometime. Thank you to everyone who submitted a question or left us a review for the podcast. So it's time to pick a winner from the people that have done that. And just as a reminder, this winner will receive a copy of our book, No Half Truths Allowed, Understanding the Complete Gospel Message, which also has a study guide that goes with it. And they'll receive our new book, The Bible Blueprint, A Guide to Better Understanding the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They'll also receive a No Trash, Just Truth coffee mug, and a No Half Truths Allowed keychain. Pretty nice prize package. Mm-hmm. Okay, our winner is Ann Resto. Well, congratulations, Ann. We will message you to get your address to send your prize package to. And thanks to everyone else. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks mm-hmm. for your support. And as always, have a blessed day.